Hello, and welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as the social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders in the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series is very timely and will be relevant for both healthcare professionals and patients alike. Today's guest is Dr. Tsunai Pongdi. Dr. Pongdi is an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Allergic Diseases at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, where he serves as the research chair and as an associate fellowship program director. Dr. Pongdi's research interests focus on mast cell and hyper-eosinophilic disorders. He's been very active within the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology for a very long time and currently serves on the board of directors. He's also served several leadership roles in the asthma diagnosis and treatment intersection. Dr. Pongdi, thank you so much for taking time to join us and welcome to the podcast. Oh, very happy to be here. I very much appreciate the, the opportunity to talk today. Yeah, your, your perspective is going to be very helpful. Uh, and this is a, an, it's a bit of an interesting situation. Uh, we generally try to avoid using brand names for medications, especially during, you know, CE events and things like that, unless there are no generic equivalents available. But that's kind of unavoidable for today's conversation, as we'll talk about. So can you just tell us a little bit about the medication called Flobent, uh, such as how long it's been available, the conditions it's used to treat and, and other information? Yeah, so uh, Flovant is uh, the brand name for uh, an inhaled uh, corticosteroid. Uh, so it's uh, typically used to treat people with asthma uh, as a what we call a controller or preventative type medication. Uh, it's been around uh, since 1994 originally, and then there's been various uh, formulation changes uh, where its current form is Flovent, and that's this HFA um, abbreviation after it. Uh, but that's been around since 2004, so it's been with us for quite a long time. Yeah, so it's, it's a medication that you know we've used for decades, essentially. And the manufacturer of this brand name Flovent announced that they are going to discontinue production after December 31st. 2023. So very soon after people listen to this, or perhaps it's already happened, depending upon when they listen to it. Why is this happening? Is, is there something wrong with the with the medication, or are there other reasons? Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong uh, with the medication. So the the company that manufactures uh, Flovent announced earlier this year that they're uh, going to produce uh, a, a generic form. So this, there's a couple of different ways uh, generic medications become available. So this is a process they call it an authorized generic. So this is when uh, the manufacturer of the medication in question uh, either uh, produces that medication themselves under a, a generic label, uh, or they authorize another company or license another company to manufacture it on their behalf. So 
the company that manufactures Flovet announced earlier this year that, that they would uh, produce this authorized uh, generic form. Um, so there's nothing wrong with the medication. The medication will be exactly the same. Uh, the delivery devices will be the same. So I mentioned this in HFA inhaler uh, earlier. There's also what they call a discus form of Flovent. So both um, delivery devices will be produced in this authorized generic manner. Uh, why is it happening? Um, you know, we, we can somewhat speculate um, when companies uh, produce generics through this authorized generic uh, manner, uh, it's usually something to do with, with the business model of, of that company. Uh, again, I don't know the specific reasons in this case, but there may be some business reasons why companies would do this. Um, in Flovent's case or, or any other uh, medication where this happens, uh, there could be other uh, competing companies that are have already released a generic form of the medication or they're planning to. So the, the company is trying to address that in the competitive marketplace. So that may be a reason. The other potential reason here is also business-related. Um, during the COVID years, um, there's... Uh, what they call a, a Medicaid rebate cap for medication. So this, without getting on to the business aspects of it, it's, it's a way that uh, govern, the government can keep prices, medication prices low when they purchase medications. And uh, this cap is, happens to be expiring um, at the end of this year. Mm. So what that does, it, it may create an environment where having brand name medication uh, is an expensive proposition for various companies. So to um, offset that, a generic form is produced. Uh, again, I, I'm speculating here, but that mm -hmm. it's probably an economic reason at, at the end of it. No, and, and uh, I think it's very reassuring, especially for our patients that may be listening, that there's nothing wrong with this medicine. So it's not like they've been harming themselves or their children if they've been using it for this period of time. There's a, there are other reasons why it's being discontinued. Uh, you mentioned the generic equivalent of fluticasone. Do we know anything about the availability of this? Is this something that will be in short supply or is it to be determined? The, the company that's manufacturing it has uh, announced in Several places there, there's no anticipated uh, supply shortage. Mm -hmm. uh, that there's more than ample supply available, so we don't anticipate any issue with that. Um, now there, there may be some issues in terms of availability in the sense of one's health insurance coverage. So mm -hmm. uh, when it when there's a, a generic equivalent. Uh, so a health plan may consider that a completely different medicine than brand name. And so when that happens, uh, there, there may be some issues with uh, availability in a practical sense. Mm -hmm. 
So let's say we have somebody with asthma and uh, they've used this medication for years and years and years. If for some reason they're unable to obtain the generic equivalent fluticasone or it's not covered by their insurance provider, what other options exist for these individuals who have asthma? There, there still should be several options. Um, there's many different uh, types of inhaled corticosteroid inhalers. So uh, while it, it may not be the same brand or the exact same steroid medication used, there should be plenty of other options available that would be under one's health plan. So um, I, I wouldn't be too too concerned if there's difficulty of obtaining Flovent or its equivalent specifically. Um, your you know, one's healthcare provider should be able to find uh, something, uh, an equivalent type inhaler that would work just as well. Uh, you know, we always recommend that for anybody with asthma, they should revisit their treatment plan, ideally at least once a year. And of course, if they have more severe persistent symptoms then more frequently than that. And I, I, I suspect that this is now going to occur out of necessity for those who are currently taking uh, brand name Flovent. But in general, why is it important to periodically review asthma management? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, asthma can uh, certainly vary over one's lifetime in terms of the symptoms and severity. And there's lots of you know, external factors that could affect it, you know, one's, uh, one's immediate environment, uh, what, what, what they do for work or where they go to school. Uh, is there anything new at home, like a pet, for example? Um, are there any other medications that one may have started that could affect asthma or how well certain asthma medications work? Um, so there's there's lots of things that can make asthma change over a year. And so uh, we need to make sure that the treatment plan that we used last year is still the best plan to use in the coming year. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell us about uh, something called smart therapy, and is that a potential option for some of these individuals? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. Um, in the last uh, few years, there's uh, been uh, a number of new recommendations on how we how we treat asthma. So one of the, the biggest changes uh, that have come along is, is something called smart therapy. So th this is an acronym. Uh, that stands for uh, single maintenance and reliever therapy. So, so the idea here is that um, one would use the same inhaler that you use as maintenance or, pre or prevention as you use for your rescue therapy. So, for for years, we um, you know had kind of two different sets of inhalers. Uh, so, one that we would say is maintenance or prevent preventive. And then we had a different inhaler that we would say is your rescue inhaler or your as-needed inhaler. And, and these were kind of two separate classes of medicine. Uh, but with this new SMART uh, therapy, you would just use the same inhaler for mm -hmm. both purposes. And the advantage, there are a number of advantages that have been shown in a number of studies where in the long run, this would decrease your overall exposure to steroid medicines. It would decrease your risk of having severe exacerbations and uh, improve several outcomes related to asthma. So there's a lot of evidence to support 
um, you know, changing the way we manage asthma with this. So uh, typically someone who's on Flovent um, has what we call persistent asthma, uh, where you have symptoms often enough that we would recommend having some type of maintenance or preventive therapy. So, um, so it, it is, you know, a pretty good chance that you want to, could be a candidate for smart therapy, uh, depending on how severe your, your symptoms are. Okay. Um, and by no means would I suggest we go from uh, Flovent straight to a biologic, uh, but, you know, you've given us multiple different options that people can pursue, including hopefully uh, generic fluticasone. But can you just briefly talk about uh, the role of biologics and when we should consider these treatment options for somebody with asthma? Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, talk about biologics. Uh, I'm sure many patients see lots of ads for biologics. Many of my patients tell, tell me that every day. Uh, and I think biologics have uh, really uh, expanded our treatment options for asthma, so they, they certainly ha have a role. Uh, for those not familiar, these are typically medications that target very specific parts of your immune system uh, that uh, could potentially be playing a large role in your asthma. So we're kind of selectively targeting areas in a very precise way uh, to make someone's asthma better. Uh, we, we typically reserve these medications for those with more severe symptoms where uh, you may require multiple med medications already to, to uh, manage your asthma, but you're still having symptoms. Or if you're requiring a lot of medications and having a lot of serious side effects from, from those medications, so we're trying to find alternative treatment um, treatment regimens for you. These biologics have a number of studies that support that they could certainly reduce your need for other types of asthma medicines and reduce uh, your need for what we call systemic steroid exposure, where one would need, you know, like steroid pills to treat your asthma if that require, if that happens uh, frequently. So certainly biologics have, have their role, uh, but we have to be, you know, very selective and and those that that we think it may help. Uh, they tend to be uh, expensive types of medications. They're not without side effects either that that may need to be monitored. Uh, but certainly could be a good option for for a select a group of patients. What about uh, the other group of patients who may have used this medication, Flovent? So uh, individuals with eosinophilic esophagitis, for instance, uh, who may have been prescribed swallowed uh, Flovent, so they use it without the spacer to treat their condition. What are some other treatment options that exist for these individuals? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. We, we, we think of Flovent usually to treat asthma, but it, it, it's been used and studied uh, to be used off-label uh, to, to treat eosinophilic esophagitis with uh, fairly good results. Um, you know, if, if Flovent's just not available uh, or its use is restricted, there are other um, steroid inhalers that, that could be used. Um, uh, although not as well studied as Flovent, uh, but there's uh, another steroid called mo mo Mometazone uh, that's available as an inhaler 
uh, and there's another steroid called, called cyclosanide that's also available as an inhaler. So these may be other potential options in terms of inhalers where you could still, uh, you know, use them to be swallowed, kind of like Flovent. Uh, there's also a, a steroid called budesonide um, that comes in a liquid form that can be um, kind of mixed in a certain way where you would swallow that. Um, so there are some other options uh, to treat eosinophilic esophagitis if, if flovent's uh, just not available. Um, and briefly, uh, there is a biologic available to treat uh, eosinophilic esophagitis too, although uh, that's uh, usually reserved for those with more severe symptoms. Yeah, so that, that's great. And um, as you discussed, there's options galore. Uh, so this is a maybe a great opportunity for people uh, who've been using this this particular medication for a long time to revisit this with their you know personal allergist or physician and, and discuss other options. You know, the, the discontinuation of a commonly used medication such as Flovin is relatively rare. Um, you know, I, I can't think of the last time we've had to deal with something like this. Uh, however, something we deal with on a regular basis is when insurance companies change their formularies either year to year within. The the same year, and they may no longer cover medication that somebody's been using to treat their chronic condition. How can allergists and clinicians in general help our patients when these changes occur? Yeah, that, that's always a very uh, challenging uh, situation uh, that I think all allergists and, and frankly, all health providers share the, the changes in formularies. Um, you know, it, we, we need to work, obviously, together with our patients to see what, you know, what is on their formulary, you know, are there equivalent types of treatments uh, that would be covered on their formulary, uh, and that may take a little uh, investigation to, to figure that out. It's, it's not always really evident at a, at a clinic visit, um, but that's certainly, you know, it, it's a team effort here uh, between, you know, healthcare providers and their patients. Uh, on a on a one to one level uh certainly we we get some notifications from some uh, health coverage uh companies about changes in formulary so we we can be somewhat proactive in that sense if we were notified of such and we have a number of patients that uh, are on that particular health plan or whatnot and then you know more more of a global sense, uh, there is a lot of uh, work in um, in terms of state legislation, national legislation, in terms of prior authorizations that the academy has been working on, as, as well as other you know large medical professional organizations, you know, trying to lobby Congress to make prior authorization not so onerous. So I think there's there's a lot of levels to address this, but uh, from you know one on one of our patients to really as a specialty, you know, being active uh, in in terms of advocating for our patients, you know, in in terms of government um, and, and payer relations. Oh, that's that's encouraging to hear. No easy answer, but I know the academy and uh, especially folks in the advocacy side of things have been really working tirelessly to help with this. So hopefully we'll see some progress in the future. Well, Dr. Pongdi, so far you've discussed you know great options for people to consider uh, if they need to find something to replace their flow vent. And you know this really is a great example of shared decision making uh, between a patient and one's personal allergist or, or other healthcare uh, clinician. Can you offer some thoughts as to what shared decision making entails and how you use this with patients in your practice? Uh, 
Yeah, that's that's a very important point, I, I think, for for this particular topic, and and really just for uh, you know providing uh, medical care in, in general. I think allergists are, are well well positioned here. We we manage lots of, of chronic conditions uh, where there may be a number of treatment options to to consider. Um, so we you know we need to basically have a partnership you know with, with our patients and in the decision making pro- process uh, with a number of options being available. You know, making sure that uh, you know patients have um, good evidence for the options that are being offered. Uh, that we discuss the variety of options available. You know, the the risks and benefits of each of those. And really, you know, uh, learning from our patient. You know, what what is it that's important for you know for, for them? So uh, this this shared process is you know not only presenting patients with the the evidence information about what's available, but also listening to them about you know what 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 are their preferences, you know what what are their values, what what's important to them in terms of their health care, because uh, that's going to really shape um, you know what 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 they want from um, the, the treatment being offered, and if we can hopefully have a uh, decision together. Uh, what the evidence will show is that there's going to be a lot better outcomes when, when it happens. So uh, patients are more likely to be ad- adherent to the treatment plan, and their outcomes from treatment should will be much improved. So it's really just getting together on the same page, uh, listening to one another. And you know we we strive to do that. I think allergists are well positioned to do that. We we take care of lots of conditions where this would apply, and, and we follow the, our patients over time. So we we get, get feedback on how the treatment is going, and it's uh, hopefully uh, leads to better care for our patients. I love that you included that last point, I, I, and I couldn't agree more of the long-term relationships we have of, okay, let's come to a decision together. Let's see if it works. If, if it's achieving the outcomes that we want and meeting your, your preferences and goals, great. We'll continue it. If it's not, we'll be seeing you back, and we can readjust. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Pondi, so far you've given us a, a lot of reassurance and outstanding information about some options that people can consider. Uh, what would you say to somebody who's just now learning about the discontinuation of flow vent? Is this a uh, chicken little sky is falling moment and they should panic, or, or are there better steps for them to take? Yes, yeah, so certainly not time to panic. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, the first step is just learning, you know, what, what, what's happening, and then having a plan going forward. You know, certainly here near the end of the year, uh, I would say, you know, making sure you have. Uh, your ref- your current refills of flowvent available, or however that that looks, so you you're, there's not going to be hopefully an interruption in in your personal supply, and then uh, uh, likely touching base, you know, with your healthcare provider to address you know what what are the next steps here as we move into the new year, because um, I. I would say there's probably a number of providers that don't realize this is happening. So, uh, again, you know, it's good for patients to be, you know, proactive. Uh, you know, reach out to your provider, uh, 
what are the steps here, get that asthma action plan looked at, um, and see you know, uh, what, what was the path going forward. I think that can certainly be achieved. And if there's providers out there that this is the first they're hearing of it, then they can also start formulating on their end uh, how to address uh, these changes, you know, what what options, uh, if there needs to be a change that they're comfortable with in terms of other medicines, and uh, probably get some guidance from the health insurance uh, companies that they uh, deal with most in their practice. That's great advice. You know, we love uh, having all guests from different backgrounds on the podcast, especially when we have uh, you know, leaders uh, from within the organization. And as we wrap up our conversation, uh, would you be okay if I asked some personal questions about your career and involvement within the American Academy of Allergy and Immunology? Hey, of course. Yeah, well, thanks. Well, uh, let's start with just, can you describe what you enjoy most about working at an academic medical center? Yeah, there's 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 a lot of things um, about being at an academic center that, that are great. Um, I really like, you know, the breadth of uh, medical conditions that, that I see. Um, so some of my particular interests are conditions that aren't as common as others. Uh, so I, I enjoy being able to see more of those types of patients uh, where I work. Uh, and there's certainly the, the education aspect at academic centers. So I, I get to be involved with, you know, allergy immunology fellows in training, uh, medical residents, medical students. So that's uh, just a rich atmosphere to kind of keep learning. Uh, I learn so much from our trainees. They, they keep me on my toes to be as up-to-date as possible. And so that kind of environment is very mentally stimulating and I think helps keep me younger than my chronological age. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so you've also been very involved uh, within the uh, academy throughout your career. What would you say is, is the most fulfilling part of, of being involved uh, in the organization? Yeah, it, it's been great being involved in the academy. I, I've been involved since I was a fellow in training. Uh, I think one of the most rewarding things is, is just the relationships y you make with individuals that I probably otherwise would not have met. So I I, I have the opportunity to, to meet other allergists and learn from other allergists, you know, from all across the country, uh, do various activities of the academy, and that's. Um, it's a great learning experience for me to not only knowledge but but to grow in a in a professional manner uh, personally and it's also uh you know fulfilling to be able to, to give back to the specialty i think all of us uh, love our career choice and if there's a way we can make the specialty stronger uh you know no matter what practice setting you're in and also make sure it's strong for future generations. So, you know, we have uh, wonderful trainees and students and uh, researchers who keep pushing the field forward. So we want to make make that as strong as possible. So being having a small part in that is is very fulfilling. 
Mm. Well, uh, you know, you're almost halfway through your term um, of service on the board of directors for the academy. What's been the most surprising or unexpected thing for you to learn about since you joined the board? Is there, uh, you know, some secret handshake or some, you know, uh, mystical hideaway that you all get together to meet at? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't divorce that in public, man. But, uh, <laughs> but what I'll say is, um, I'm amazed at how much you know work gets done behind the scenes. I, I think. Uh, from the outside, I mean, I think you kind of think, well, the the board and the staff that supports the board at EDI, you know, they're they're busy. They do lots of things to support the organization, and especially, but to, to see it up close, um, you know, you have a group of individuals from a lot of different backgrounds and settings. They, you know, you all come together with the common purpose of, you know, supporting the specialty, supporting the membership. And that's that's really eye-opening to see. Uh, you you have this kind of common goal, and um, there's so much work, especially in terms of, of the advocacy that you mentioned earlier. You know, there's a lobbying firm that the Academy works with that follows dozens and dozens of bills on Capitol Hill, all related to allergy or immunology in some fashion. And this gets tracked like all the time. And you know, how how should we do this or how should we do that? And then there's all these interactions with all these other organizations all to like kinda of how can we strengthen our specialty? Uh, you know, what what can we do here? Because uh, that helps all of our members. Uh, so, so, so to see that up close is been really is really great to be involved with that. And uh, I, I don't think, especially the staff at EDI uh, that supports the board and the academy, get, get enough credit that they they work behind the scenes. Uh, and all the board members that put all their time in, into uh, these kinds of decisions. Uh, it's a great group to work with. Oh, that's wonderful. And I guess along those lines for um, members who may be listening now, and let's say they want to get more involved within the academy, but they don't know where to begin. What advice do you have for those individuals? Yeah, that's that's a common question. And we, uh, I think there's lot, lots of different avenues. Um, the academy, you know, sponsors uh, a leadership institute. So there's a, a program at the annual meeting and, and actually a mentoring program uh, for those uh, that are interested. That, that's that's one route. Uh, I tell many individuals to you know get involved on, on the committee level. I mean, much of the work of the academy is is committee driven. There's lots of committees that serve various interests. Uh, I, I would hope that there's one particular one that aligns with one's personal interests. And um, just get involved there. You know, talk, see what that committee is doing, talk to your committee chair. There's there's all kinds of projects going on in the academy. And, and there's lots of need for people to volunteer and and do things or have have ideas. Um, I think some people are a little worried, uh, like, well, if I join this or and, you know, I'm not this or that. But uh, everyone's participation is is so welcomed, 
and and sharing ideas is is sorely needed because that's that's how we all make it better. Um, and if if one of those avenues doesn't work, you know you know you can reach out to to any committee chair of any committee. You can reach out to any board member. You can reach out to me. I mean, whoever it is, I, I think anyone. Uh, who has a leadership position or has held one in the past in the academy is is very uh, open to speaking with those who are not quite sure, you know, what 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 to do, how to get started. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And sometimes it's it really is as simple as sign up, show up, speak up, and uh, you you can get involved. That's great. Well, I saved this one for the end on purpose, and our listeners are likely not aware that you, uh, Dr. Pondy, previously held my position, uh, except you were the website editor, and there was only one of you, and then the Academy decided to split it into two positions where I'm the social media editor, and we have Andrew Moore as the website editor. I still remember meeting in the conference room with you, and you handed the reins over uh, about six years ago, and if I recall correctly, the idea of the podcast was yours. Uh, you proposed this idea. And so we all have you to thank for this tremendous idea. And now that we've passed over 100 episodes, uh, well, how do you think things are going so far? <laughs> well, I think they're going fantastic. It's very gracious gracious of you to credit me with the idea. But there are a lot of great ideas that were not for me during that time. But there was a time, if one can imagine, when uh, the Academy didn't was not involved in social media at all. And that was like a new concept a number of years ago. And and now the Academy's heavily involved. And the podcast idea was one of the last things before I finished my term. But but all the credit really, I think, to to you, Dave, and Laura, who uh, who you work with. Uh, the podcast has, has, been, has been wonderful. It's a great source of information. I, I can't tell you how many times I've I've heard accolades for how well it's done, and uh, you you and Laura should be congratulated for passing the hundred episodes. Uh, I think uh, I know on the board level that was highly celebrated, as I'm sure it was in many places. So. Uh, Actually, for me, I can't thank you enough for making it so successful because it's made made me look good in terms of having an idea. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, thanks to I. No, it, it, like you said, it's a team effort. It's always nice just to be given the opportunity. And uh, for our listeners, that was called fishing for an easy compliment because, uh, yeah, I just teed it up for you. So, no, thank you very much. And it's it's nice to have you on the podcast. Uh, and really, you you started, you built the platform that Andrew and I have been able to build upon. Uh, so thanks for your, your service in that realm as well. Um, Dr. Pongdi, this has been a great conversation. I'm sure our listeners are going to benefit from the information you provided. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, this, this has been a wonderful experience. Thanks again for having me. I, I just want to echo um, to to those members who want to get involved in the Academy. You know, Please reach out and do so. The Academy desperately needs your involvement to keep our specialty strong. So uh, that would be my main takeaway in that regard. Excellent. Well, thank you again.
We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please visit www.aaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.